Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Tired? That was good. How's everybody doing? Good. You're, you're the faithful remnant. Here you are. You, uh, this holiday weekend, I, uh, I have been thinking during this holiday season that we should do to Christmas what they've done to Thanksgiving, and that is we should pick a day and leave it. Stop letting that thing move around. Because, you know, I don't know, when you do New Year's Day on Saturday and then you're supposed to come to church on Sunday, well, you all pass. Others of you are tired and at home today, so. Thinking a little bit about this, what are you doing in your mission for God? Now I'm going to let that simmer for a second, because that is not what the sermon is about. (laughs) So here's the follow-up question. What are you being in your relationship with God? What are you being Isn't it interesting that we can do a lot of things for God and still not be very nice people? That our being doesn't match up with our doing? That we can be really busy doing things for God, but being unpleasant? And you know, I've observed over the years, there are people who always are doing, that we, that we celebrate their doing. In fact, around church, we are always honoring people for their doing. Amen? I mean, as a pastor, you know, you get awards for doing. You don't get awards for being. I mean, first, I don't know how you measure that, but, but you don't. <laughs> you get awards for doing. And sometimes when we associate and think about what our, our process is with God, we we feel an ache inside of us because we don't feel like we're doing enough. And that stuff will preach, by the way. You know, I mean, I, you can preach a, a whole series about doing. What are you doing for God? What are you, what are you and we, here are the list of jobs we have at the church that we need to fill right now for free because we don't pay anybody, you know. There's a, a writer used to talk about it this way. There's a sermon that every pastor preaches. It's called Teach or Burn. You know, about once a year, we need somebody to teach the junior high boys. You better teach or... Yeah, girls too. And somehow it's easy for us to begin to think that life for God is a posture that makes sense. But that sends all kinds of messages to us about our worth and about our significance. And it, not just, it doesn't just impact our relationship with God, it impacts our relationship with everybody around us as well. Searching for significance, trying to stand out, trying to matter, trying to find our worth, trying to do something that creates space in which we can find our significance. I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like our relationship with God should be exhausting. Amen? The invitation is to come and find rest unto our souls, because the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Jesus is an intricate storyteller, and and I don't know if 
you know, one of the things that's profound about the teachings of Jesus are the parables. And in the early church, the parables of Jesus are highly celebrated. Um, we know from the way the Bible is put together that we have evidence that there are oral traditions circling very early in the church, like mid-first century. We're, we're already seeing what we call periocopes of information, little packets of teaching that are being passed around. Uh, some of those are things like the words of Jesus, uh, but the parables of Jesus represent a great significant piece of that. And one of the things that you get tired as a pastor of is sometimes the parables are only meant to tell one thing, but pastors often allow them to tell many things they were never intended to tell. If you push a parable far enough, it will fall over, like the one of the shrewd servant who rips off people in order you know, to secure his own future. And Jesus says, the people of this world are more shrewd than the people of the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean go rip people off. It's not what it means. <laughs> It just means use your brain, engage your brain, be, be smart. That's what it means. <laughs> so you can over push. In Luke 15, we have three powerful parables in which the intention of Jesus in the teaching is to teach us the nature of the Father. That's what he's talking about. We know this chapter as the, parable, as the parables of the lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And so the lost sheep is an obvious story. We talked about it on Christmas Eve. He's a good shepherd. He has 100 sheep and 99 are safe, but one is lost. Will he not leave the 99 and go in search of the one lost sheep? And we spent our evening on Christmas Eve saying these words, Find me. Come find me. I just sometimes need to stop and let the presence of God find me. In fact, I need to do that regularly because I'm busy and I can get lost in a lot of ways. Sometimes I can just get lost mentally, sometimes emotionally. But I need to stop and let the shepherd find me. And then he tells the parable of the lost coin. And at each of these parables, there's a great celebration when things are found. When something is found, there's celebration. Because that's the nature of the Father. I know we think he's very grim, you know, sort of very serious-minded. But he's full of celebration. And then he tells this very, very intricate story. In fact, it's so intricate that I don't want to even tell it to you. I want to read it to you. And I want you to notice several things about it. Number one, I want you to notice the level of detail. And I want you to notice that the story should end and could end much earlier than it does. But Jesus pushes this parable. Like it feels like it would be a nice time to just close it out, say a prayer, send the people home. But instead, he pushes into something else. And it almost feels like it's a, you know sort of a distraction from the main story, but it turns out it's pretty important. Listen to how it unfolds. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. How many of you have fed pigs at any point in your life? Nice. How many of you have been in a home that has fed pigs at any point in your life? Because homes that feed pigs usually have a bucket somewhere in the kitchen, and in the kitchen all the scraps go in the bucket. You've got to be really, really hungry to want to eat 
what is in that bucket. <laughs> You've got to be really hungry. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate be a perfect place to end, wouldn't it? Sweet. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, listen to the language, I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. That is powerful storytelling. <laughs> so here's what's going on. The younger son comes to the father and says, I want you to give me what is mine. I want you to give me what you owe me so that I can go enjoy my life. The younger son represents what we talked about weeks ago, life from God. Here's what I need from you, God. These are the blessings I desire. I want my life to go well. I want to have pleasure. I want to have fun. I want to engage. I want to have meaning. I want to have purpose, blah, 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 blah. Very upfront, very direct. We don't like the younger son much, do we? I mean, none of us tell this story and go, don't you want to be the younger son? You know? We don't really like him. He's not likable, but he is transparent. There's not a lot of mystery going on with the younger son. He believes that life from the father is what it's about. Give me stuff so my life can be lots of fun, so I can go out and enjoy it. And he does. And the remarkable thing about the story is he goes away and he doesn't learn a lesson. He goes away and he does his thing. And he keeps doing his thing until what happens? Until he's so hungry that he's willing to eat what the pigs are eating, that he desires to eat what the pigs are eating. That's, that's, a, that's an expression of, that's about as bad as a human being gets in a sense of need and longing. And now he says, now that the money is gone, now that the pleasure is gone, now that there is no other path forward, now that he is desperate, now that there are very few choices or options, now he says, I will go to my father. And he has a nice speech, doesn't he? I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant because I know your servants are better off than where I currently am. 
Remember what the parable is about. It is about the nature of the Father. And while he is still a long way off, the Father sees him, and he has compassion on him, and he runs to his child, and he throws his arms around him, and the Son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your child. I will be your servant. But the Father says, bring the robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, kill the fattened calf. The son who was lost is now found. The one who was dead is now alive. Meanwhile, the older brother comes in from the field. He's been working. He's been doing things for the father. And he hears the music and he says, what's going on? Well, your brother who was lost has been found. And he becomes angry and he refuses to go in. And the father comes to him and he goes, hey, what's going on out here? All these years, listen to what he breaks loose. It's probably the most words the son has spoken to the father ever. All these years I have slaved for you and I have never disobeyed you and you didn't ever give me as much as a goat to celebrate with my friends. And now this son who squandered your wealth has come home and you're celebrating him. And the father says, we've always been together. Everything I have is yours. How, how can you look at it this way? The second son becomes the perfect image of someone living life for God. I've been doing things for you. Neither of the sons have great interest in knowing the father. Neither have great interest in being in relation. So the father is like, well, we've always been together. What do you, what do you want? Everything I have is yours. There's, there's nothing hidden between us. Well, that's not what I want. That's not why I've been doing what I've been doing. I've been doing what I've been doing to get from you what I want. I'm just playing the long game. My younger brother played the short game. He just came to you and said, give me what I need. Give me what I deserve. I, on the other hand, am earning what I deserve. And I'm expecting something from you. I'm expecting you to meet the deeper needs of my life. I'm expecting you to give me pleasure. I'm expecting you to give me celebration. I'm expecting, I'm doing these things so that you will do what you're supposed to do. And somewhere in there, Jesus goes into this level of detail. Don't, don't we stop and go, why? Why? Why does he tell this story so intricately and powerfully? Why does it go on and on? We already learned the lesson. The prodigal came home. His dad loved him. We know the nature of the father. He's very redemptive. He's very loving. He's very compassionate. He's great at forgiving. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of other people that aren't any more in love with the father than the son who ran off. They just believe that the long game gets them closer to their goal. Or maybe we're less honest or... I don't know. By the way, it's not like we came up with this thought on our own. There's a lot of us people who stand up here and preach these sermons who put this in here. That generally people in church are thought of this way. You're either on mission, or you're an obstacle to the mission, or you need to get on mission. Those are great sermons, aren't they? We'll have some of those coming up. I mean, just so you know. <laughs> I think it's ironic that today we're saying, we're talking about being and not doing but please stay after because we have to take down these decorations. <laughs> uh, I didn't say you're going to stop doing. I just, I just want to get your priorities straight. 
It's like, you know, at church when we talk about the love of money is the root of all evil. Now let's pass the plates. <laughs> I don't know, it's just ironic. It's an ironic piece of church, isn't it? So we're in this space where we think about life for God. What are you doing for God? But more importantly, what are you being? What are you being? What is the nature of the attitude and the spirit inside of your heart and mind? How do you relate to this relationship with the Father? What does it look like and what does it mean? And, and what does it speak into your heart and into your soul and into your journey? In, in the book, uh, uh, Sky Jathani talks about these different postures and how they put something different at the center of the universe. So if you, if you imagine that, this, that the universe is an apple, and we're going to slice it open, we're going to look at what's at the center of the universe. If you said that uh, life under God is at the center of the universe, or life under God is the posture we take, meaning I need to appease God, I need to do what, all the things God wants me to do, and I need to do none of the things that He doesn't want me to do, then at the center of the universe that you would put divine will. The divine will of God is at the center of the universe. And, and let me stop right there and go, that's good, isn't it? You, you, you're trying to get ahead of me, and you've got to stop that. <laughs> it's not fun if you don't play along. Because <laughs> for most of us, you could preach a compelling sermon, and you could go, and at the center of the universe is the divine will of God. And we would all, if we weren't having this conversation, you would all go, amen. But now, you don't trust me. If we took this posture of life over God, then you slice the apple open and guess what's at the center? Natural law. Because it means here are the principles by which God operates. If I memorize the principles, if I learn how they operate, if I operate them, then I'm really operating not just the principles but also God. God has to behave himself under the natural laws. We wouldn't word it that way. But we would find natural law at the center of the universe. If we believe in life from God, we slice the apple open and what do we find? us. We find ourselves and our desires. This is, this is the center of my universe. You can reverse engineer this. You could say, well, wh where am I really centered? <laughs> A lot of us are centered right here. If I slice open the apple of my universe, there's me and my desires and my needs. And that leads me to a posture of life from God. I need you to help me get my desires taken care of. If you slice open the apple in the posture of life for God, what would you find? Mission. Mission is at the core. Everything's about mission. It's about being on mission. If I go to one more conference that's about missional churches, I will poke my eyes out. I mean, being on mission. If you believe in the posture of life with God, when you slice open the apple, what is the center of the universe? God. God is the center of the universe. And out of God comes mission. <laughs> And out of God comes blessing, and out of God... If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And part of the fruit is mission. Part of the fruit is being. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Listen, all of those form the fruits of righteousness. And they speak to what I'm being. And if I begin to believe this life for God mentality, then, then I apply that not just to my relationship with God, but I apply it everywhere. My worth is my doing. My significance is what I've accomplished. My value is what I bring to this 
home or this family or this marriage or, or to the world. It's, it's finding my significance. I, I long to be significant. And by the way, we all do long to be significant. Amen? Let's be honest. We want to do something that matters. And yet when you boil it all down, how much of life is spent in accomplishment or celebration of accomplishment? How much? How much? I mean, sometimes if we work really, 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 really hard, we get a plaque. Congratulations. 40 years of service. Here you go. And there's cake. But we don't spend most of our life in that space. Most of our life is spent in the moments of being. Being something. Being a person of hope and faith and joy. You can find people to do things. It's harder to find people to be things. It's hard. And you know when you've met a person that's being, you know how you know? You're drawn there. You like them. You want to hang out there. It's warm. It's loving. It's kind. It's connecting. They look you in the eye. They make you feel significant. Why? Because they actually like you. They're not pretending. They're being. The love of God is present in them in such a way that they also are projecting that love out of them. When we are busy doing, then we're always doing. And you can feel when people are doing, can't you? Hi, it's really good to see you. You didn't see me. You said words to me, but you didn't see me. You were doing, but you weren't being. Amen? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Jathani writes these words, sometimes the people who fear insignificance the most are driven to accomplish the greatest things, and as a result, they're highly praised for their good works, which temporarily soothes our fears until the next goal can be achieved. But there's a dark side to this drivenness. Gordon MacDonald calls it missionalism. It's the belief that the worth of one's life is determined by the achievement of some grand objective. It's not that missional things don't matter. They do matter, but where do they come from? They come from this deeply connected place with God in which He invites us into places of service. They do not come from a place where I am seeking my own significance by doing things for God. Amen. That's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work to be doing things for God, to be trying to figure out how to be on point all the time and sort it all out and have it all make sense. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And many will say to me, Didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons? And I'll say, Away from me, you evildoers. What's he talking about? Because <laughs> scary passage. He's talking about this. You can do a lot of things for God and not be connected to God. It's a dangerous sport. <laughs> the doing comes from the being, and the being comes from abiding.
And abiding means resting in Him. Resting, 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 resting in the presence and power and grace of God. Wouldn't it be nice to just be able to take a deep breath and go, that's enough. That's enough. And if somehow I stumble into greatness, that'll still be about God, wouldn't it? I mean, at what point, at what point do you look at yourself and go, no, I'm pretty special. (laughs) Turns out I'm pretty special. There's a new commercial out, uh, I just saw it the other day, it involves an athlete, I won't call names. That athlete is toning his body, he's working out, sweaty, muscular, doesn't look anything like me. And talking about the commitment to be in peak form. I just want to be that, you know, mystery science theater. I want to be that little head that goes, excuse me. (laughs) What is this doing for your character? Because you are not a nice human. But you may have big muscles, but you're not a nice human. And what would it be like to stop and go... We got all this emphasis on so many things, but what about my being? What about my being? Who am I in the moments of my life that are really my life? How I speak, how I think. Is God there? Am I at all interested in knowing the Father? Am I at all interested in abiding with the Father? Am I at all interested in connection to the Father? Or do I just want to do things for Him and get things from Him? Do I just want to appease Him? Do I just want to control him? Of all the people that would have gone down this path, it's Paul. Paul, who, who lived a life of life over God, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And what does he say? I consider it all garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and being found in him. That's a guy that's striking a balance. Not only did he live most of his life as life under God, but then he becomes a missionary. And he he goes into this mode of doing things for God, except he never goes there. He never lives there. Instead, he prays powerful prayers like this. My prayer for you is that you could know how high and wide and deep and powerful is the love of God. That it would surround you and envelop you and hold you and wash over you. Two quick points, and we'll close. Everybody that believes that, say amen. Okay, now it's going to go long. Now now we're just going to keep going. Number one, life for God puts the mission ahead of the relationship. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. My prayer for you in 2022 is that you put relationship back in the center. Let mission grow out of it. Let being grow out of it. It's not about you and all of your specialness. God made you special, period. I have this image in my head that God must be so frustrated with the church. Like, like, he, like he creates these wonderfully diverse human beings. Amen? And then they all go to church. Okay, well, some of them go to church. 
And they come out the other side and they all look alike and talk alike and act alike. They're supposed to like the same things and not like the same things. And God must go, ah, they did it again. I'm going to have to raise up a whole new group of unique people to inhabit the world. I hope the church stops coloring them all vanilla. I just want them to stop. God already made you special. He already made you significant. He already gifted you. Go be. Go be you. Be you in abiding in Christ. Be you so that the fruit grows out of you. But be you. We need you, your personality, your gifts, your quirkiness, your weirdness, your, you know, contrarian points of view. We need you, you. Don't put the doing in front of the relationship. Get connected. Number two, life for God creates fear of not doing enough. And once we get into that mode of the fear of not doing enough, guess what? It invades every part of our life. Next thing we know, we're wondering about our friendships because we're not doing enough. Next thing we wonder about is our kids because we're not doing enough. We just had a house full of all of our kids and grandkids over the holiday season. It was, it was awesome. Completely chaotic. And you know, it's so easy when you got all the, I used to think as you got older, life got simpler. Anybody buy that myth? No, you just get more kids and grandkids and more people to worry about and to love, and it's wonderful, and your life gets richer, but it also gets more stressful. And you're much weaker. <laughs> you, you know, your will to do things is like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's, I'd have to stand up, and that's a lot. <laughs> Can you kids come in here and play? Because I... I don't really want to go in there. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's so easy when you're doing all of that to get caught up in the doing and forget about the being. And suddenly the holiday's in and you're alone again and you're like, well, I did a bunch of stuff. But I don't know how many minutes I stood being, being in space, being in relationship. Because when I buy into this lie... <laughs> My fear that I'm not doing enough to be significant, it affects everything about my life. Not just one or two things, not just my relationship with God, it affects everything. I forget that the gift God has given me is being. It isn't doing. I'll have to do some things, but I've got to be something. I've got to be something. We're going to close this service and we're going to step into 2022 by sharing communion. And here's my prayer for you is that this moment and this image just says to you, listen, this is about me sitting in space with the presence of God. And, and everything that I'll do in this year, it's going to grow out of that presence, out of that being. I'll have some doing, but it won't come out of resentment, and it won't come out of anger, and it won't come out of obligation. It'll come out of a deep, deep love. And a prompting by the Father who loves me so deeply. Let's bow our heads. God, we're so very thankful for the power of your word. For how it finds us. How much it knows us even before we were ever born. 
the nature of our hearts and minds and spirits, the way in which we think, the things we believe about significance and trying to find a a place of worth and value to be appreciated and loved and seen and all the things that make us human. And yet your gospel says, while you're a long way off, I see you. And I run to you and I throw the robe around your shoulders and put the ring on your finger and the sandals on your feet. Before you can even give the nice speech, I'm already thrilled because I long to be in relationship. I pray this morning that for those watching now live with us online, for those that will be watching through the course of this week, I I pray uh, for each of them and for those that are gathered in this room, I'm asking, Lord, that you would each allow each of us to take a deep breath and welcome your presence. And to be reminded again that it's not about all the things we are able to do. It's about being. It's about being something. Love. Joy. And peace. And patience. And kindness. And gentleness. And faithfulness. And self-control. The fruits of the Spirit. So in these moments, we quiet our hearts. We invite you to find us. Remind us of our uniqueness. That you've made each person special. You long for us to live into the creativity and the distinct personality that you created us to be. Not something different. the fullness of who you've created us to be. These moments are for followers of Jesus Christ. They are for those who have confessed their sins and received forgiveness. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, I invite you to do so now as we pray one together. God, we prepare our hearts for this table. We confess to you our sins. We ask for your forgiveness. We're so thankful that your word teaches that when we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And now I pay that you would apportion grace to each person as there is need. We dedicate these elements to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead and prepare your elements. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. blood of our Lord Jesus Christ which was shed for you preserve you blameless unto everlasting life take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful and now God we invite you to walk with us and abide with us and we will abide with you 
hear our response to your word and do your work in us, we pray. And as you do, we'll give you all praise and honor for we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Let's stand and respond to the word. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.